Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Postcard from the Past and Water Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is a place where we dig deep into shoeboxes stored on top of wardrobes or underbeds, in attics or cellars, to consider picture postcards and explore what it is that causes us to keep hold of these precious little cardboard rectangles. Each time I welcome two guests, and it's their postcards that act as small clues to direct us towards memories, mysteries and stories. I'm Tom Jackson. I'm delighted to say that today my guests are trombone player and tutor of improvised music, Sarah Gale Brand, and historian and writer Peter Mitchell. Peter and Sarah, welcome to Podcast from the Past. Hello. Hi. Now, Sarah Gale Brand is a trombonist working in free jazz, improvised music, um, and she's been working in that kind of music since the 1990s. Uh, she's played alongside a catalogue of other great musicians, and you may even have seen her performing alongside TV's Stuart Lee or heard her presenting jazz on Radio 3. She's also an academic and has an academic life, uh, which gained her a PhD in improvised music. Um, and she's a professor of improvisation at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. And Sarah's latest release, out now, is All Will Be Said, All To Do Again, on the Regardless label. And Sarah joins us today bearing a, a rather blurry, rather unspecific London postmark. What? What? what why, why? Why so blurry? Um. Well, I was born in London, um, uh, in South Woodford, and I think the hospital I was born in was is, is no longer there. I don't know if that's connected to me, or <laughs> that's the first blur. <laughs> well, yeah, it could be because you know that that sort of that kind of terrifying act can never happen again, or. Uh, it was just, you know, knocked down. But so I was sort of—I was born in a building that now long, no longer exists. Um, and then I—I I was brought up in Birmingham after mum and dad broke up, and I was raised. I was in Birmingham from the age of about four to the age of twenty-two. Oh, so moved, most of your growing up was done there, really. Yeah, absolutely. Well, fetching up, let's say, not about growing up. Um, and uh, yes, and then so I, then I went to university finally when I was 22 and I went to Middlesex University and I basically stayed down uh, in the southeast. Uh, I was in London from 93 until 2000. 
2006, 2005, when I moved out to Kent. Uh, but I've been, you know, I'm backwards and forwards to London most of the time. So it doesn't feel like I've ever left London. I just, just can't afford to live there. I've been all over London and there's never been one place in London that I've ever felt particularly at home with or ever felt particularly not at home in. And I feel umbilically attached to London. So when I've contemplated moving away from the southeast or sort of further than 20 miles from London, I start to break out in a rash. Um, and, and I sort of don't actually like London that much, but I also don't hate it. I don't think that's so unusual, <laughs> though, is it, to be attached to a city and still have very mixed feelings? Yeah, and I, I feel kind of proud of London in the sense that I'm proud that I've managed to survive here doing the, uh, the, the sort of the work that I do. Um, uh, as, as in, it's none of what I do is particularly, you know, well paid, and I'm not a millionaire, as you can probably imagine. Um, but I'm really glad I've survived. I think you survive London, actually. Mm. I think you survive it. I think it's kind of a, it's a sort that's of quite a ste- steely way of looking at it, isn't it? It is, and it's a, it's a place where there's so much wealth and so much deprivation, yes. and so much inequality, and it's the place where. Really, really dreadful people make terrible decisions about the, uh, the rest of the country, and I can't quite believe that that's all concentrated in like a square mile of that city. It's kind of yes. really and you, odd, you, you can know, you so. can go along and look at the buildings in which they're making those decisions. Well, you see, it's convenient because I'm only twenty minutes away from London. I can nip into town, bit of protest back in time to pick the dogs up from the dog crash, you know? So it all works really rather well for my middle-class guilt. Or, Very you know, good. So, that, that, um, that's the urban experience. That's what it is. It is indeed, yes. Now, Sarah, do you still send postcards? Uh, I do to my mum uh, when I go away uh, from home. I still send her a postcard. Um, I've still got a couple, which makes me feel a bit concerned that I never sent them to her. When I was looking for postcards i found a couple that said hi mum having a great time i thought well, how come i've got this oh. <laughs> and so how and she might have just sort of like slipped them back into my bag when i wasn't looking visiting her um but well, had, they, uh, had yes. they been posted do you think did they have postmarks they on had them? the postmark on so i don't oh, quite well. understand yeah it's really odd but uh and the lovely thing is she's got a wall in her spare bedroom where she pins all these postcards up and I didn't know about it. So she had a wall full of postcards from places I've been. And particularly when I was gigging uh, in in Europe, which, you know, and around the world, which I'm not allowed to do anymore. Um, And I'd always send her a postcard. So I do actually, and I buy postcards for myself to put on the fridge door or just as a way of remembering a place. I do have an affinity to postcards. It might just be my my age, my generation, but I still think that they are, you know, even if I'm not going to send them, I'll hold on to them as I was I was there. You know, I went yes. there. You know, Tangible so. little bag- <laughs> yeah. badges of honour. You, you've made it. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. And also just to sort of as a thing to kind of take away. Holidays are very ephemeral, aren't they? Kind of whisk away. But a postcard is I was here, I was there, and I was doing that there, you know. So I, I like them for that sort of tangible reason. Very yeah. good, very good. Well, we'll see some of your postcards in a minute. Mm-hmm. Now, Peter Mitchell is a historian who spent time researching the records, by which I mean archives, not LPs, of the East India Company and India Office. Um, he's currently an oral historian on a project called Voices of COVID-19. But it's his latest book that has gained a lot of attention, Imperial Nostalgia, um, subtitled How the British Conquered Themselves. Um, 
Sounds like the sort of ultimate imperial self-own, as they say nowadays. <laughs> Um, it's a razor-sharp analysis of the myths and fantasies that uh, drive politics in Britain to this day, um, especially the most frightening and seductive spectre of them all, um, the ghost of the British Empire. Um, Peter comes to us today with, again, it's another... These postmarks are rather blurry today. N-E-4, but, but blurred. Well, what, what's that N-E-4 postmark mean? Um... Well, uh, it's 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 kind of it's it is it is quite nebulous, but uh, NE four is basically the west end of Newcastle, right. um, which is which for me begins at about the Lytton Fill at the bottom of uh, the Westgate Road, goes past the portico of the Central Station, up the Westgate Road, past the Tyne Opera House, um, past the Casino, and then up towards Arthur's Hill on a long straight line, which is actually built atop Hadrian's Wall. Um, and why do I like it? I, I just um, I suspect why can't you that, escape it? Well, yeah, I, I, I suspect that for reasons I'm, I can't completely uh, work out for myself, it will it will probably be the last thing I think about before I die or something. Um, <laughs> it's like like we said before, it's probably written on the inside of my skull, but I'd rather not find out. Um, it's uh, I I remember like hating where I was from. I'm from right. the east end of Newcastle, but that doesn't matter. I remember hating it and wanting to leave and never wanting to come back. And then I dropped out of university when I was about 21, like, because I was really depressed and sad and a bit of a mess. And I came home and I used to go and visit my mate who lived on Arthur's Hill at the top of the big hill at the Westgate Road. And I'd walk from the middle of town up to his house, which took about half an hour. And I spent all winter doing that in the snow and the rain. And um, it was, uh, and, and I suddenly thought, holy God, this, this city is, uh, this city is impossibly romantic. Oh. It's it's a it's a really dense, rich landscape of of absolute glamour and sexiness, um, which it is. It's um it's it's an astonishing place that I happen to be sort of connected to by birth. So that sounds like you had a sort of complete transformation of your opinion. There, what what did something prompt that, or was it just, was just a, a switch turned or? Uh, I think antidepressants help, to be honest. Okay, but, um, <laughs> that would make sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So some, something turns, and suddenly I thought, actually, this is uh, one of the most interesting places on earth to me. Like, uh, I had that kind of, you, you know, when you get that sense of like of, of the glamour of where you're from, even though it's kind of unrecapturable, even though what you're looking at isn't necessarily the place that you inhabit, but places it's been before, and you get a sense yes. of its kind of textured histories and things. Oh, um, or maybe you're describing what it is to have the excitement of a historian as well, the, 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 that sense that you can, you sort of see the layers within a, within a place. I guess, yeah. I mean, I'm not really a historian, I'm just a pretend historian. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, West, the Westgate Road is good. Also, it used to smell of warm milk on Weetabix, because that's where the Scottish and Newcastle Brewery was. And that smells great to walk past in winter. Yeah. So um, do breweries consistently smell nice or do they smell horrible sometimes? They smell malty. Malty, right, OK. So it's yeah. a sort of shreddies thing going on. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Shreddies. That, that's exactly what it is. Shreddies, but more, more boozy. Shreddies with a bit of pub carpet. <laughs> Excellent. Oh. Now, Peter, <laughs> when did you last send a postcard? Probably quite a while ago. Um, I'm really good at buying postcards and I'm really terrible at sending them. OK, well, that's half the, half the battle, definitely. Well, yeah, plus I, I don't want to give them away. I want them for myself. Oh, really? Really? So you, yeah. what, you have a little collection or just a, a stash? Or? 
Well, I, t- I tend to have like quite a lot pinned up above my desk at any one time, but Very half good. of them are ones I've bought myself because yes. I just don't think I'm 39. I don't think a lot of people. You poor old soul. That, I know, right? But I don't think. But what I'm saying here is that I'm actually really youthful, and I don't think a lot of people of my my you know my idle millennial generation actually send postcards to. Each right. Other. Right. Well, that's why we, we we've, we've really put you at the lower end of the people we invite on this podcast. I'm afraid. <laughs> So I'm just Very good. Look, we're going to hear more about your postcards in a minute. Um, before we do see and hear about the cards that you and Sarah brought along, uh, a quick one of mine. So this is in the um, postcard from the past style, like I do on Twitter and in my book. So it's an old card, and we'll have a look at the message on it. So this card, I, I should say to everyone at home, normally we'd be in a studio, we'd be, you know, knocking our cups of coffee together jollily and, and looking at these cards over each other's shoulders. But because we're all remote today, as you can probably hear... Um, I've sent out a sort of dope sheet, a kind of crib sheet to everyone, so we can all see all the cards, um, even though they're not in front of us. So so the card we're looking at first is a place called, is it Ilham Rock? Ilham Rock? Dovedale, Derbyshire. Um, 1988, so you know, very much in the modern era. Um, and it says, this is sent to um, someone in Braintree in Essex, and it's from someone called Kirsty. And she, I think she's... Uh, a teenager, young teenager. And she says, Anne, to Anne, she says, Anne, I'm having a great time. I only got here this morning. They've got a, t- they've got a TV here, so I'll be able to watch Neighbours. And I guess, or 1988, was this the sort of high watermark of Neighbours being an absolute it- cultural necessity? Well, it depends. Yeah, kind of. It was the, it was the excuse to not do your A level revision because I was eighteen then, and uh, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of you know, and it would was come it po- on, post Kylie or pre Kylie. Oh, Kylie, Kylie. Oh, is it? It was very very much Kylie in that, uh, in that original point. Kylie. It was. It was Kylie and Jason and Mrs. Oh Mac. Was it Mrs. Mangle? Was it Mrs. Mangle? Yeah, Mrs. Mangle. And Harold, and I don't know. I'm, I'm. You see, this is terrible because I, I, you know, I've, I've maintained my mystique and aura by telling everyone I was a feat and intellect at the age of eighteen, but I wasn't. In fact, I was watching. You were watching Bounce of the Dog. I was watching Bloody Neighbours, and you know, (laughs) listening to Radio One with. I had a poster. I had a poster of Carrie and Jason on my wall of my bedroom. I was six in 1988, but my sister was well into them, so I was too. And Carrie was wearing this incredible, chunky, lovely, chunky knit sweater, and she had that big perm. Oh, oh yes. Yes. It was a big, big, a big thing, those jumpers that Kylie wore. She doesn't oh, wear what? jumpers anymore. <laughs> I, bet she anyway, do- uh, I bet she does. I'm sure I she does. She when it's does. chilly, and she's only very slim, she must, she must catch the cold. And, and um, I, I don't know if she <laughs> still lives in Australia. I mean, maybe they don't need jumpers in Australia. I think she lives she here most of the time, doesn't she? Does she? I think, I think she's yeah. ascended to a different level of existence where you don't have to live anywhere. But uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she lives in Australia. Think <laughs> thing is, we, we, we laughed at this stuff for years, and I would absolutely wear those jumpers now. Really? Like, like, yeah, in a heartbeat. <laughs> Would you have the perm, though, Peter? Would you have the perm? Well, I'm, I'm bald, so uh, ah. let's say, yeah, why not? You'd wear it. Yeah. You could have it temporarily. If you had the choice. <laughs> well, that, Does it mean uh, I get to have hair again? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> after Kirsty has um, finished with Neighbours, she goes on. 
just, I mean, it's all downhill from there, really. Watching Neighbours was the highlight of her trip. But she says, uh, tomorrow, I think we're going to a museum tomorrow. So she's got a bit confused about that. Um, but actually, by saying tomorrow twice in the same sentence, she's had the opportunity to correct her spelling of the word tomorrow on the second version, having got it wrong on the first one. So maybe that's a good strategy for, for correcting your spelling. And she says, I'll send you another postcard on Wednesday. See you soon. Love, L-U-V, Kirsty. So I, I think she sounds like she was having a pretty good time, actually. I love Kirsty, and I hope she's flourishing. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, she's probably... I don't know well, if he, I don't know I don't know if I don't know if she was a teenager she could be attorney general with just very bad <laughs> spelling or you know she's probably 60 you know and <laughs> just you know on the loose do you know what I mean I don't know I mean mind you though I, I could where, read out the whole address and we could be a lot closer to finding that out but I'm not going to Yeah go yeah come on let's get Kirsty come on guys <laughs> but I'm just oh. that look I love Derbyshire and that looks beautiful I suppose suppose the bit that made me chuckle really is that you're right, you've got the most amazing natural uh, landscape there with outcrops of rocks and and actually very nicely shot on this this postcard, very much saying go to the outdoors and and of course Kirsty really wants to sit at home and watch Neighbours, I think that's the sort of tension (laughs) that, that, that pulled at me but Okay, but, I'm Kirsty. It was me. It was me. I'm Kirsty. God's sake. When did you change your name? <laughs> this, is, wish I, this witch hunt must be over. <laughs> what a hell of a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look, I should let you know at home, the, pic, the pic, images of all these cards are going to be on the website, um, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, so you can see um, that lovely view of the, the tour in Dovedale and you can consider whether you would have gone for a walk there or whether you'd gone in and watched Neighbours. Um, <laughs> now, Peter and Sarah, you've been kind enough to do a bit of homework. You've dug out some cards for us for this recording. Um, let's start with you, Sarah. What's the first card you've got for us? This, is, this seems to be a sort of exercise in typography. Uh, yeah, well, this is... Um, <clears throat> it's, it's not... It's not. It's postcard size, and it's lived on my refrigerator door since I was sent it. Really, it it came as part of. I th- I think actually, because I got it quite a while ago, it came as part of a package with some CDs inside that I was on, and ah. uh, the um, sender of the card and the in fact the, the the band leader of the CDs that I was on was a blues guitarist called Billy Jenkins. Uh, he's a jazz musician as well and Billy's sort of um, well he's sort of semi-retired now I think he might be I'm not sure but um, I was in his band for a few tours and on a few of his albums and he's one of the funniest men I I know and he was absolutely brilliant uh, still is a brilliant musician Um, and on the stage he was really funny and he used to do he, his, the fav, my favourite tune I ever played of his was called They Built a Ring Road Through My Garden. Um, and he do things like, you know, the album, we did an album called Sounds Like Bromley and that sort of thing. Okay. And he's very much into the idea that... He's a British you know, musician. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. He's, yeah. And, he's, and he's into uh, Crown Green Bowling as well. Met his, uh, met his wife there. And um, he... Um, well, how can I describe Bill? He's basically of the view that... Um, Religion, you know, the religion is music, you know, right. uh, and music is religion. And uh, he had an ensemble called, we always used to tour as the Voice of God Collective. 
Um, and I was by no means an original member of this ensemble. I was thrilled to be asked to join him when he came. I used to see him play when I was a music student uh, a thousand and four years ago. And he used to go to the Vortex, which is a jazz club in northeast London, and he'd be on, and I would just be in complete and utter captivated awe <laughs> of him and his brilliant musicianship and his, his wit and his fantastic you know music that he'd written and then he came to our college to do a workshop and from there oh. he then asked me to be in his band not long after I left college and I couldn't believe it and I met some really great friends in his group and um, we did some just amazing gigs and I had some really really great times so anyway <clears throat> he we did this album and that he sent that postcard with it so we, for, and, those, for people who can't be bothered to go and look on yeah. the blog, we should describe <laughs> the card. <laughs> yeah. Shall I read out the words? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, okay. It's in the, it's sort of kind of in the form of the Lord's Prayer, but it's been changed to uh, the Blues Prayer, basically. So it's our bluesmen, which art in blues heaven. Blues be thy name, thy blues and come. Thy blues be done in blues earth as it is in blues heaven. Give us this day our daily blues and forget us our three passing chords as we forgive those who pass three chords against us and lead us not into the temptations but deliver us from Crapsville for thine is the bluesdom, the blues power and the blues glory forever and ever. Oh yeah. Very and good. on the other side of the card he's just written, oh yeah, to me in his handwriting in a big kiss. That's a good um, message for any card, isn't it? Yeah, it's just that's all it is. Uh, he's very economic with, uh, with with words, Bill. When he wrote to you, um, he would normally he was one of the last musicians that actually would call you up to do something, which I really miss. Getting a phone call from someone saying, "Hey, do you want to do a tour? Right. Hey, do you want to do an album?" Just kind of like an email coming through now. It sort of feels a bit sort of perfunctory, and you know, whereas getting a phone call from someone who says, "I want you to come and do some." gigs with me is, is just really quite romantic almost you know it's lovely yeah. and uh the thing that bill used to do is he used to uh, used to get the audience to shout oh yeah at certain points so there's a lot of oh, audience I see. Interaction so this is really well. part of it oh yeah they, oh yeah and you know just kind of the whole sort of uh, billy jenkins experience is to be pulled into part of this sort of uh, belief system, which is a gig, you know. Uh, his father was a bishop, I think, so he's kind of got that, oh. it's kind of faith based, but not about Christianity, you see what right. I mean. But the irony, of course, being that blues is from a, is a faith based music, you know. Um, and so it's sort of, it, it's all encompassing. You feel part of something when you're on stage with Billy. Um, but it's very zapper like you know in the middle he'll stick his hand up with a sign and you know that's a sign to go to another part of the of the music or suddenly he'll just sort of stop the music and do sort of hand signals and you have to do something along with each hand signal so you can't ever really you can't ever get bored on stage because you're constantly waiting to see what's going to happen next which is brilliant well, that, that sounds like the kind yeah. of environment that you would thrive in oh i loved it i loved it and as i say one of, it was one of the biggest shocks of my young musician's life when I got the call saying would you come and be in my band because I couldn't believe that you know because we were all huge fans of his when we were at college and all our lecturers worked with him right so for me to get asked to go and join his band with some people who taught me was just kind of you know you can imagine when you're in your 20s that that's like just kind of you know you can't can't believe it well what do you think about this idea of 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 
music then having a sort of religious spiritual effect if you if you sort of push it far enough and you um if you if you find find the right space in the music i mean i think i'm always looking for a kind of transcendence when i listen to music is is do you, do you, is that is that just me fantasizing about wanting wanting to go to a higher plane or, is, or can music do that I think so. I mean, uh, hmm, I do nothing but music. As a music therapist, I spend my time helping people with music. So uh, that works. Use, using music as a communication rather than words, because, you know, in a psychotherapeutic way. And as a lecturer, you have the sense of, you know, sort of passing on, you know, information. Well, it's not just information. You're sort of Socratically passing on information, if you like, and getting people to buy into and the concepts that you're talking about and hoping they understand. So there's a sort of, there's parallels, I think, with um, people taking your word on trust and, and, and belief, you know. So the, the, the dialogue and the language between musicians is very much based on communication and relationship, um, which is all a group, it's a congregating music, isn't it? You know, every music, even if it's a soloist, requires a congregation of people listening or playing with you in order for it to work, you know, it's just a fantastic socialising. Um, create, creating music. moments, a, mo- a moment exactly. where something and, and can you happen. Sh- you share them together without necessarily needing words. Now, I'm not at all religious, but I do feel that if I if I had to commit to a belief system, it would be music and music right. making, um, and it just consumes your life. Music isn't tangible until it's played. I mean, even yes. a piece of music written down is meaningless until it's lifted off the page. And there's a certain element of, of, of mystery and intangibility about religion as well, possibly. Yes, yes, yes. But the experience of music, I've been, I've been, at a, you know, I've been to see a Mahler symphony and, and just been in tears afterwards, or I've been, I've listened to some Charles Mingus in the car and just had to pull over because I just love it so much, you know. So yes. there's, there's, there I have moments of personal or connection with music but I can't explain yes. you know, so I think that's very that's good. very religious as well spiritual well, yeah no I'm inclined to agree well thank you for, for mm. opening that door um, mm. with your blues blues prayer and I'm, I'm happy that that was on the fridge as well that, that, that can only be a sign of love <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose so. I am the sort of person that just opens the fridge door and stares into my fridge sometimes, hoping something will appear. So I do, I do see it often, you know. I'm sure there was some cheese in here three weeks ago. <laughs> and it's still there. Look at it. You know. <laughs> yeah. well, very good. Now, Peter, let's move on to the first of your cards. And uh, now I think we've got a black and white picture here. Tell, tell me why, what this is and why you've got it. Uh, yeah, so th- this is a bit uh, a bit indulgent and a little bit too serious, maybe. But um, not at all. This is. Well, we'll a... see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's find out. Um, so this is one of a series of photographs made by a photographer called Keith Patterson with the um, with the Amber Collective in Newcastle upon Tyne, and uh, he basically hung around in Easington in County Durham during the miners' strike and documented everyday life and what was happening there. And Easington, like, there was loads of clashes in Easington. It's where Billy Elliot was set and filmed, right. et cetera, et cetera. So um, I'm, I am really, I've, and I think, I think people should be very cautious of the kind of aestheticization of uh, past labour struggles, like, oh, look at it, isn't it gritty in the yeah, 80s? Yeah. It's so retro. Um, and, you know, it, it becomes a kind of, like, I love the radicalism of the miners' strike, but not the radicalism of now. That's threatening yes, and yes. weird. Um but I got it's a given bit this. Like 
dead socialists, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's like the whole Jeremy Della thing of like of reenacting all grieve and making it kind of fun. Um, so yeah, so on the back of this, I didn't send you a picture of the back. It says, "Congratulations on your A level results, Pete. Lots of love, ma'am." Because uh-huh. um, you've had this and, a while. Yeah, thank you. Yes, it was a while ago. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So basically, I, I mean, I, I, this is where it gets indulgent and over serious is, is like I was, I was a really bad uh, school student. Uh, I was really unmotivated. I was, didn't know what to do with myself. I really wasn't doing well, etc. And then when I did do well in my A-levels, which took everyone by surprise, I hadn't applied to university or anything. Um, my mum wasn't in when I came home but I just found this on the kitchen table and uh, I mean we're not a very demonstrative family but what I loved about it and the reason I've kept it and had it above my desk in various houses for years is that like you know like I I don't know how much of this was intentional but I know that my mum kind of grew up slightly in with the kind of family mythology of her granddad, who she loved, who was a minor from a really young age and educated himself and did that whole very sentimentalizable kind of like story of working class autodidacticism. He ended up head of the Miners' Federation of Great Britain and the Labour right. MP and stuff. But the thing is, I think what I suspected she was trying to remind me of, consciously or not, is the idea that um, like you don't, you don't have to be bored and stuff's at stake and education is liberatory and culture's liberatory and it's to be taken and it has to be taken by force because certain people won't let you have it. And mm-hmm. that education is part of a struggle and a liberation and uh, and not to give up or get lazy, yeah. if that makes sense. No, I like, think I see that because, in there. Yeah, just because we got middle class and directionless and liberal like was, was no reason to... Uh, to stop uh to stop taking stuff from people who think they own it basically so yeah i mean i i, I keep this above my desk when i can but it's a very specific choice for a congratulations i presume did she come by especially <laughs> i mean it's not kittens and well done is it it's a, it's this is a choice made yeah yeah exactly yeah I mean, also, I mean, my mum my would uh, would spew at the thought of a, of a kittens and well done card, but uh, she's she's quite a hard lady, and she was a primary school teacher herself, okay. um, so she's so she's very serious about education. I don't know, like, I, I just think it's it's cool. Yeah, I think it's no, cool. and uh, I mean, if, even if you strip everything away from it, it's very nice to have a little card that says well done because that stays with you. You can look at it now and remember the emotions from then. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, a bit. I was uh, I was really ashamed of myself as a student, and then I was really chuffed that my mum was actually proud of me. So, were you surprised at your results then, when you did really well suddenly? Yeah, of course. I, I mean, I'd been I'd been pretty useless, and uh, and I was didn't know whether I wanted to go to university or whatever. And you know, it was a bit of a woo university, but uh, yeah. So, because it's a strange thing, isn't it? Because you haven't changed. You, you you did the you did the exams as one person. And you've got yeah, the results yeah. as the same person. But there's something odd about the way when you get good results unexpectedly and the same with bad results unexpectedly, suddenly you are a different... Your your outlook is different on the world because you, your options are either opening or closing. Yeah, your relationship to the world kind of shifts a little bit. Yeah, um, well, in your case, happily then, because you, you did have some more options there. You know? 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, I've I've just published my first book, and it has the same like kind of like, oh, you have a slightly different relationship to the world now because yes. obviously you know you're rich and everyone wants to be your friends or sleep. Exactly, with you or exactly. I mean, it's it's been a whirlwind the past couple of weeks. Um, Are you but, joking? Uh, or do you mean it has been? No, I'm joking. No. But I'm sure you've had a lot of <laughs> media attention for your I'm, book. I'm living Maybe at not home a whirlwind. In childhood. I'm living at home in my childhood bedroom, and there's a pandemic on. Um, okay, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, but but yeah, the world does, is in a whirlwind I mean? right now. A bit like I'm sure Sarah, like when when you're like when you've when you're performing on stage and when you've been in that position, like your relationship to the world changes, doesn't it? Like it's mm. it's a slightly a, a different way of inhabiting your body. Oh, like I've 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 this has been several times when I have really had to drag my heaving carcass out of my house. Uh, and, and get to a gig because I felt, and it's been the last thing that I felt like I've I've wanted to do, and I just uh, you know I can't bear it. And then I've done the gig and I've come home transformed. And it sounds like a cliche, it really is, but it's a cliche because it's so it's so true. It you you are transformed, and uh, you might not things might not have improved for you uh, emotionally, but you've had a time where you've been preoccupied enough to to do something else. And again, it's the communal idea of being with other people and forgetting yourself for a while. Well, I, want, I wanted to talk to you about your book a bit, Peter, because I very much enjoyed it. And it's um, there, there were bits of it that I, I would have, I would have wanted to pick up and talk about. But I feel if I, if I paraphrased so particularly some of your analysis of, of, of contemporary politicians, I would do it so clumsily, I'd end up being sued for libel. But you've done, you've done it with... I mean, you're not, it's, not, it's not a hit job, but you analyse some of the... The sort of the way some current politicians present themselves and the the myths that they draw on with a very very sharp uh, pen. Well, I think we did have lawyers look at it. To be honest, did you? Um, well, so some people are very litigious. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, but you can't you can't sue anyone for a myth. The myths that you're un- uncovering, the, the, the ghosts that that hover above some of these sort of narratives that people create around themselves. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, I, th- I think, you know, there's, it's it's not that, you know, doing a kind of culture wars book where you're like, look at this dude, what an idiot, what yeah. a bastard, etc. is 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 useless. But, uh, but I, d- I, I kind of want to take the, to take the focus off individuals as individuals and more like say, it's not, I don't care what this person thinks. I don't care what their, what, what the state of their soul is. That's for the theologians. Like what I'm interested in is how a public figure activates myths and imaginaries. You know what I mean? Yes, yes absolutely. Like, uh, how do you, how do you, you know, like, it's not, it's not like, is Rory Stewart kind of putting it on? It's like, that. that's kind of a meaningless question. It's like, yes. why is Rory Stewart so popular? Why do people just have to keep reproducing those pictures of him dressed in, in a shalwar kameez and stuff? <laughs> like, why is well, it's it that so sense, fascinating? It's that thing of... That, you know, people say if they didn't exist, you'd have to invent them. But it exactly, kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. matter whether you've had to invent them or not; they do exist. Yeah. But yeah. The, the, the Rory Stewart bits I found particularly insightful, just because I think so much has been written and considered about our current prime minister um, that it's even entered the public consciousness. Some of the um, strange devices that sort of surround him and these strange, strange kind of role play that goes on. But but Stewart kind of. I'm not sure his bubble has been particularly burst, but when you tie it in with the sort of whole John Bucken thing, 
it just and to me it seems so bloody obvious why didn't I notice that before kind of thing um, yeah, I mean, his, his bubble clearly hasn't burst because I've just got uh, my new statesman through the door, opens it up and there's a like five page interview with him that says like, could he have been a great pandemic PM? <laughs> uh, where, where did you get that from? Literally because the guy just rocks up wearing, wearing like a borrowed turban and starts talking about Alexander the Great. Oh God, he could, he could have been prime minister, you know, he could have really got us out of this hole. It's, we needed up. more walking. That's what we needed. <laughs> Yeah, we needed him to come kip with loads of people, but in a COVID-safe way. Like, I don't know. I don't have anything against Roy Stewart. I'm sure he's a he's, no, no, no. He's, he's a wonderful chap. I just think you know he's he also doesn't meaningfully exist except as a collection of quotations. <laughs> That's a very good way of putting. It. And of course, the other big area that you I mean you, you put into the into the subtitle of your book this whole area of nostalgia. I mean, I'm very very. Um, wary of nostalgia because I, you know I, I sort of do all this stuff with old postcards and it's very tempting I think and, and some people slightly misunderstand what I'm doing and think that I'm wallowing in old old stuff and ooing, cooing over it to some extent which which it, and I'm really I'm I'm I, I think I'm more of a sort of um, irresponsible archivist in in that I'm spending my time going through kid, I'm not a historian. I'm not. I'm not telling a historical story, but I am trying to point up the weird, emotional, and factual, um, unexpected stuff that went on in the past. So you know, people are. You get postcards aren't full of people saying, "Ooh, it's lovely." They're saying, um, "You know, I've got a le- an ache in my leg," or um, "Terry fell in the swimming pool," or the sort of stuff that. That or or I, I really hate it here, and I, so I'm but trying to just create. That's a, amazing. A... I mean, that's that's what's brilliant about about the Twitter feed, isn't it? It's like because these things are kind of because they're decontextualized, kind of almost artificially. Like you don't try to find out who it was, and then you take one phrase and like it's a way of saying here's an actual kind of like immediacy of experience. Well, that's um, what I'm trying to do. It should it should feel like the person's talking to you. That's kind of the, what I'm yeah. trying to do. But but enough about me, <laughs> because we, you, we, you... We, like I think we should we should all be irresponsible archivists. I think that's <laughs> that's a really cool phrase. But you need your footnotes. You need to do it properly. That's the problem. Yeah. I sometimes find it quite alarming what people do write on postcards, particularly if they're sort of on holiday. I don't know <laughs> if I'd ever write. If even if I was having a dreadful time, I don't think I'd write to people I love to say I'm having a really bad time. You know, because I, I know. suppose I suppose they'd think, oh no, you know. I mean, I, I I wait till I got home and bitched about it then, but you know, or I just wouldn't send a card. It's just I, I do. I'm some. I'm sometimes I'm amazed at people's sort of candor. Yeah, I think sometimes know. people's ability to whinge kind of out out <laughs> out oh, outweighs yeah. their good manners. Um, yeah. Well, sometimes they th- sometimes they've got that that really annoying thing of they're sort of showing off. They're saying, and I told them it was awful. You know, they're. they're, 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 they're <laughs> recounting a battle you, that they won but off you, to be honest you've had postcards from my mother haven't you <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and i and i thank you for them but um no sometimes you see i'm lucky because i can see the handwriting and quite often it's a teenage girl who's whinging or complaining and being funny the thing is yeah not all these cards are actually written in a serious tone so yeah. there's something about print, typing them out and on the twitter they they, they appear to have a consistent tone in terms of the way they're written but you can tell people are actually joking because people did used yeah. to joke in the old days too and and it's very hard to imagine that we always imagine we're the super ironic 
clever ones now. And, and social media seems to create this um, this thing because everyone has a snappy comment to come back with um, in, in a kind of very strange way. Um, you forget that people made jokes in the old days too. Mm. You know, they, they were mucking about. But, but, I mean, this is a thing about nostalgia as well, as we imagine that, that only ourselves are kind of self-aware. Yes. And that, like, everyone else lived in lived in history. They lived in days of yore. And uh, yes. back then they were like, <laughs> yore is very nice and has no kind of temporality. We just live in it, you know? Yore's great. Um, well, I think this is one of the great things about your book is you, you, you talk about the idea that this... Well, you, you, you sort of spend quite a lot of time talking about how nostalgia works um, and this idea of a sort of yearning for the empire and yearning for the war and and how it it's a it's a kind of hall of mirrors or a mise en abime or there's a sort of people can be nostalgic in the past for even further back in the past uh, so tell me a bit about what, what, how nostalgia works that you the thing is that it's one of those concepts that uh, closer you look at it, the bigger it gets and, and, and the less less easy it is to pin down. But, I mean, what it, in short, like, the way I look at it in, in the book is is as a sense that, you know, the, the the present and the experience of history as you live it is is traumatic and terrifying um, and always has been, to, you know, to different degrees, but it always has been. And to imagine stable pasts, to imagine pasts that you can aestheticize and bound and kind of have as a kind of, as a whole separate imaginary. It's like like we have this idea about Tudor England, oh, it's this kind of yes. dance and the guy's wearing these hats, you know? Um, and, you know, there's Mark Rylance with his eyebrows. Like, here's, here's the world you would have lived in. And, and the idea is because we know the rules of that world, yes. you kind of imagine, we imagine ourselves being in that world also knowing the rules, forgetting that everyone who actually lived in that world didn't know the rules. They didn't it have It wasn't a world to them. It, it was an unfolding <laughs> chaos just like our own present. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you, they, they, they lived in Tudor England. They didn't live in Wolf Hall. And, uh, and, and, that's, and that's a really hard thing to remember about the past. I mean, that's why I'm, say, really uh, wary of, say, looking at this Keith Patterson photo and thinking, oh, yes, the miners' strike, mm. You know, because that kind of folds into a kind of nostalgism that does no favours to the people who actually have to endure those times. And yes. it's also, it becomes politically quietistic and gives you nothing that you can use. You end up like, it's like that Ken Loach spirit of 45 films. It's like, I kind of want to fight this election, not one from 70 years ago. Yes. Mm. You know I, I mean? guess kind of, I sort of, it's why I hate watched um, uh, Downton Abbey. I can't even watch it. I can't. That's an icon of this conversation, really, isn't it? But it's just that sort of thing. I I can't stand the the rose tinted glasses, which is the whole Downton Abbey thing. And it kind of gives this idea that the British have always been decent. You know, the upper the upper classes are thoroughly decent people who would never dream of hurting the lower orders. You know, and I think that's why we're in that we're in this situation now. I do. I think a lot of it. People believe it. They want to believe it. You know. I mean, there's there's a kind of like the. I mean, Downton Abbey is. You know, it's about a class that has always imagined itself to be exhibit to be existing in a fallen present and on the decline. You know, it's always decline. It's it's always like it's always bride's head, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like since since yeah. aristocrats, since the Norman Conquest, since the first Stella five Jake, minutes of, of this guy, yeah, of this guy sitting in his castle, he's been like. 
the aristocracy has sadly decayed, the old ways are changing, and the First World War will sweep all of these old certainties away. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, God, it's so boring. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, everything is, is, is tinged with, you know, Nimrod playing in the background. But isn't, it, isn't, it, isn't this really it's sort of an expression of the fact that the... The, the, those in in power, the, arist, the aristocracy in power, and to some extent we still have the aristocracy in power. We, we, um, we are, do they're, definitely. They're yeah. very aware that their position is extraordinarily precarious, and programs like this and stories like this are really just a sort of wail. If only, if only my 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 position of absolute power was 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 less precarious. It's so unfair. Isn't that what they're all <laughs> yeah. saying? It's such it's such a potent fantasy, isn't it? You get to, you get to reenact you get to reenact your sense of insecurity now as a kind of this kind of elegiac kind of like ooh this kind of lovely the kind of jouissance of oh no the servants are revolting but but it's in old style costumes. Um, but they don't I give up of... though, do they? They give the in Army, they give their lives their very lives to the people who live in the big big rooms upstairs. Do you know what? That's, that's the true bit. I, I got one episode in, and, and I'm just not. I, prob- I probably I, should have I, written I, a chapter on it. I probably should have done my homework, but I just couldn't be asked. I'm sorry. It might have been when I was avoiding writing my PhD thesis. Oh, that, does that does the job. That does the job. On the same lines as Neighbours and my A level. So I think we did. We, well, I'm now I'm really seeing a pattern here, which probably I should call my psychotherapist now. Actually, I think we're in danger of wallowing in not wallowing in nostalgia now. So I'll, I'll get out. no more wallowing. <laughs> This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Podcasts from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. I'm a guest today, our musician Sarah Galbrand and historian Peter Mitchell. Now, here's a surprise. We've received a postcard. Uh, it's a postcard of Chesterfield uh, Cathedral. Is it a cathedral? I think it is. With the famous Crooked Spire. Um, here set against a, 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 an impossibly blue sky and a D.E.R. van in the foreground. Is that a television company, television rentals, I think? Um, mm. Could be wrong. Anyway, this, is, um, this was sent by uh, Mrs. Uh, Howson 
of Chesterfield, Derbyshire, and she says the answer to the quiz is Sean Connery. Um, well, uh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Howson, <laughs> that's that's the wrong answer. Oh, now, on with the postcard bit... stories. <laughs> Sarah, what's the second card you've got for us? So, what did I say? Oh, yeah, greetings from Warrington. This is another three, uh, a threefer. Oh, yes, very uh, three, nice. It's uh, Breezing Warrington, and it's a picture of people looking a bit, well, a bit sort of, you know, nonplussed and bored in a shopping centre, uh, yes. some kind of odd, weird angle of a, of, of, of a sculpture, which might be a fountain, I don't know. Uh, oh, no, it's a Mad Hatter, maybe. Makes yeah, it the Mad it's, Hatter. It's a teapot. I always yeah, thought, yes. yeah, I always thought that was Margaret Thatcher on a really bad day. Um <laughs> Well, this is of, one of, of the which worst set of photographs many. I've ever seen. Yeah, and then the, and there's the Royal Spectacular something today, uh, and bridal again, spectacular. That's yeah, just a bridal. Oh, I haven't got my glasses on. Bridal spectacular, um, and and people presumably going into a, a bridal fair, and just sort of some woman sitting on, ne- on next to a fountain, looking a bit bored. Um, and on the other side uh, is the words "Happy Birthday, Gaily." Mark Cross, Mark Kiss, and um, Gailey's the nickname from uh, one of my best friend. I'll go into that in a minute. Um, and um, the postcard actually is from Golden Square, the old fish market, and the shopping mall, and the Mad Hatter's tea party, and all from Warrington. And um, the my my best friend is is a is drummer Mark Sanders, and um, he and I have been working together for. A, for longer than either of us are prepared to discuss. And um, we've got this thing about postcards from really ordinary places that have no business making postcards of themselves. Uh, And so this is one in a collection that he's got. And he sent this to me for a birthday card. And we... he, he He curated this specially. Yes, yes. This he Good work. he would he would have gone to Warrington for some reason at one point and found the most boring, matter of fact, nothing card about of a shopping mall. You know, I mean, you know, I'm sure Warrington's got more more to uh, to say for itself than this, yeah, but it's one imagine. of the most yeah. boring postcards I've ever seen. And so he, this is emblematic of my my friendship with Mark, basically. Of, uh, and if there's if if either of us are any part of the world and we find a piece of tat or sort of an awful little piece of it's little tiny trinket or something you'd put on your your mantelpiece, we'll we'll buy it and send it to each other, and we just. Well, we're less so these days, but we we we've spent a long time filling each other's homes with utter crap, you know, either postcards or objects, um, and photographs of the mullet hairstyle, which sounds everyone's joking about that now, but they weren't back in the mid nineties when we I'm, were touring, I, and I, we thought we, in neighbours there were a few. There were, but nobody was laughing about it then. Um, but um, but now everyone laughs at the mullet. But back back when the mullet was a thing, there were only a few of us that were going, "Christ, that's a really terrible, awful." Oh, so way you to were look. you were an early mocker? Is that what you're saying? I, I was I was an early mocker adopter, as it were, <laughs> doctor mocker of the mullet. Awful, awful hairstyle. There's no. So this is, this is a sort of an head. exercise in ironizing. 
aspects of popular culture that you're you're you're, you're indulging not in? even not even irony no it's nowhere near as sophisticated as irony it's just <laughs> look at that christ that's awful and that's it, you know, and just enjoying. I mean, we had this thing, we were in Amsterdam and gigging, Mark and I, and we came across a shop in Amsterdam called Banana Night Shop. Um, right. And we couldn't work out what it was selling. No. it was closed. We didn't know what Banana Night Shop meant, and we kept going back to find, and it would always be closed. And probably because they didn't have anything to sell because they were called Banana Night Shop or the other way around. Um and it, and also, uh, he and I used to live not far from each other in Stoke Newton in North London, and there was a chemist there called Graham Chemist. Not Graham's chemist, but Graham Chemist. And we would always think, why? Why Graham Chemist? You know, so that he and I would spend a lot of time pointing at things, going, why? And that's terrible. And it's, it's nothing to do with snobbery. It might sound like snobbery, because... He's. I'm from Birmingham, and he's from Bromley originally. You know, I think it's okay to be wide-eyed at the strangeness of the world. I think that's. that's It's just the kind of what it's the what were they thinking um, sort of thing. So it's not about saying it's not about saying I love the the mullet. Yeah. Ironically, it's about saying, oh my god, you know, and that that when and when you travel a lot and you go to different places as a musician, you experience a lot of a lot of that. What the, you know, and it's not necessarily in other countries. It's right here in the UK, <laughs> right on our doorstep. Have, have you, know? you ever released a track called Banana Night Shop? No, but I ought to now. Yeah. No. Well, perhaps no, not an I... album, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have got, I have, I've got a little list of um, album titles in my, on my phone, in, like, on the notes pages of things that I'm going to call things one day. But Banana Night Shop, no. And I, there's just something. It's got a rhythm to it. And, uh, Banana night shop, possibly. I don't know. It's too special. It's too special for the world to... to, to, to. <laughs> Hold it close to your you, heart. <laughs> well, once you put a, an album out, I'm sure Peter feels this way about it, and a book, once something's named and released, it's not yours anymore. It's out into the world, and yes. you're not responsible for how it's received, and you're certainly not responsible for what it does. And so uh, you kind of, once it's out there, and I kind of want to keep... I'm one of these people that, you know, has a cat that will never go out. I don't want that out. That's why I've got dogs, so they'll never be outdoors. <laughs> without me i don't want anything that precious to be out in the world defenseless some uh, things are just but, too too special like mullets <laughs> like you know they are you know and i think this is this, this is something about myself and my, my best mate as well there are certain things that only he and i will really really find funny or weird or odd no one else will see it and i think that for me is the mark of of friendship you know um, and we've seen each other through some very weird times personally in each other's lives. And we've always managed to to hold on to this strain of kind of question mark about stuff that that gets us wound up that no one else cares about. And I love that about friendship. I love that about intimacy and friends, you know. I think what's happened is they've, they've rung up the photographer and they've got the wrong photographer. So they've got a photojournalist <laughs> who's trying to do an essay on real life in Warrington, good and bad, warts and all, and moments that, that actually capture Warrington in a different way. They haven't, they haven't got the guy who does the pretty shots. They've just got the wrong one. And then no one I, noticed, and they just printed it. I don't know why there's the mad hat. It's, it's war- I, and I really apologise for not knowing this, but it says nothing that connects... And it Lewis looks like it's Carroll. in an empty shopping centre because there's people miles away in the background. 
Far too much shadow on this face. It's rather frightening. The uh, you, you're, you're going to find out it's not. It's not even Warrington. Yes. <laughs> it's some completely unrelated faces. Like. Bratislava. Yeah. Yeah, which had a bizarre affinity with Lewis Carroll. And I, I, don't I don't want to obsess know, yeah. on this, but if you look on the left-hand picture, and it's a sort you of... You do want to obsess on this, Tom. I you do, actually really, yeah. do. It's you a kind do, of market yeah. hall, isn't it? So, and, yes, but yeah. Because they've got the bridal show on, and again, you've got all the details, they seem to put up barriers to stop people <laughs> going in unless they pay. So there's like five barriers, six barriers, and then you can go through one of them. It's like a sort of mini Glastonbury security. You can imagine everyone just kind of glued to the railings, looking food, goggling like yeah. fish. Like... Or thinking perhaps I won't bother. Look, look the, at all the, the, the spectacular brides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, what I think is quite... Spectacular a is a big word as well. There's something bittersweet <laughs> yeah. about the lady in the foreground who's looking on. You know, she's obviously a, a, a slightly older woman. She's probably my age, actually, now. But she's, she's a, you know, she's a, and, and she's sort of looking... I wonder if she's looking on ruefully at the well, bride spectacular. She, fits, in, she fits into a long aesthetic tradition of... Uh, a person in the foreground looking into the view on postcards. It's, it's a this is very... a David Friedrich thing, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Uh, it's just the style. Um... <laughs> and, uh, but normally they're wearing um, red or blue jumpers and she's wearing a sort of floral housecoat. But, um, well, sort of imagine anyway. it's like a kind of grizzled Vietnam vet kind of looking over there she, and smoking a fan. Yeah. She's being, seen it all. like, don't, don't tell me about the bridal spectacular. I you weren't there, man. They, you weren't there. I know when they were bridal spectaculars. You want spectacular? Not anymore. I've got to put uh, Warrington behind me. So, Peter, yeah, so, thank you for on. that, let's Sarah. Thank you. But, Peter, we've now got something much more traditional in the, oh, in the yeah. postcard world now. We've got a lovely dramatic sort of moonscape scottish view is it yeah yeah what, what have we got um well it's uh it's a couple of particularly attractive mountains in uh in the far northwest of scotland in um in Assent in sutherland and uh to be honest uh there's there's no cool story attaching to this postcard i bought it off ebay which oh. is probably kind of testament to how the extent to which I think postcards have become a kind of slightly obsolete technology for me and my extremely young and groovy friends. Sure. Um, but I, I love it because it is a proper old postcard. It's got the wavy, wiggly edges. It's got the like kind decal of like, edges, type... I believe we call them. Oh, decal edges. Um, oh. I'll remember that. That's really cool. And it's got like the kind of like Times New Roman style thing at the bottom. And, yes. um, but also it's got that kind of... It's got that kind of old postcard colouring to it that makes everything yeah. look like a model. And it's got the badly kind of badly redone sky in the background that someone's clearly yes. had to go out. and. It's kind unconvincing, of... that sky, isn't it? So it has that kind of, <laughs> like, let's, like, let's not get back into the nostalgia thing, but it does have that kind of, like, the postcard as a kind of a thing you can fetishise as being kind of a past kind of way of looking at things. And, you know, like, it does look like a model. More importantly, uh, this is something that I've had around because I've, I, I, you may have you may have heard, but uh, we've been stuck in our houses for the past year and a half, and I am very very much looking forward to climbing this mountain again. Oh, really? This so is, you know this, this is what I'm holding out for. Yeah, well, uh, the one on the Le right, left so or right, the one on the right, the cool okay. one, right. the one that looks cool. I, I climbed that one. about uh, about ten years ago, and. Uh, and I had this on, I bought this afterwards off eBay to put on my wall in London um, to remind me that I didn't just have to survive in London, I could actually drive to Scotland and climb a mountain if I could spare a week and 200 quid. 
And when you say um, climb, I mean, is it is it like a climb or is it like a, a very steep walk? Or ah, it's a very steep walk. I don't do the stuff with ropes and that because right. I'm too scared. But uh, I, I just but like it looks like a big walk. I mean, yeah, it's massive. It's it's like surprisingly steep, and uh, you get you get above the clouds. It's cool. But uh, yeah, so I love that. I'm going back next month to climb as many mountains as I possibly can inside a week. And uh, it just reminds me that it's possible to do that. And also that I'm happiest when I'm in the post-glacial landscape. Right. Why is that? Because mm. uh, all, all the other landscapes just aren't really up to snuff, to be honest. Right. Um, I like living You've got the, the drama here. Yeah? I like living in the ruins of the last glacial maximum. And uh, the north of You're Scotland. You're so nostalgic. <laughs> well, you know, like the thing, the thing is, you've just got to have a nostalgia that beats the other nostalgia. It's like being yeah, nostalgic the deep, for the deep, empire. Deep it's like, that's, that's child's play. I'm yeah. I'm nostalgic for when my house was under two miles of ice. Um, I, so where would you uh, yeah. would you camp or would you go, where would you stay? Well, actually, um, my my mum recently bought a uh, bought herself a little camper van, so I'm going to take that. <sighs> Fantastic. Well, that, that, I mean, as I was saying, I think that is the, the future. I think everyone's going to want them. Yeah, I think I, the Highlands I'm, might be pretty mental this year. But. I'm looking at this and I'm getting that feeling of yearning that you get when you desperately suddenly want to be somewhere. But mm. you're not just thinking it, you're feeling it. And I'm sort of, <laughs> I've, I've been, you know, I've done sort of, you know, not ambitious, uh, I'm fairly unambitious walking, but I've done quite a lot of walking and uh, uh, not uh, in, in Scotland and in sort of Derbyshire and, and lakes and sort of, you know, places not, not, not here in the, in the, in the flat South. But, and I, I, I sort of, I feel I miss, I miss doing all that. I miss it and I ought to go and do it again. But I, I'm with you there, Peter. It's going to be mental now, isn't it? It's going to, everyone's going to be rushing for big open spaces now, and we could end up being more cramped than, than if I just stayed in my house. But I do, I look at postcards like that and think, God, I wish I was there. Yeah, I really, really yeah. do. Can yeah, I see a um, drawing pin number. hole in this? You can. Um, okay. Although I can't remember if that was me or not. It might have, it might have come with the drawing <laughs> might pin. might have inherited it. <laughs> relevant to your interests. Um, yeah, it's nice. Someone had this pinned up. Yeah, mm. no, I, and, and I see that a lot. And I see sellotape marks where people have had them pinned above their office desks, particularly. That's um, really cool. Yeah, it is, and I think because then it becomes a little, um, really inexpensive gallery that you've got around you, beautiful things or things that touch you around you in your desk or in your office. I think that's a, just a really good, simple thing. And we were, we were. In, in those old days, we were, we were less visually overstimulated. You know, we didn't have a phone with Netflix playing and, and Instagram and, you know, pictures everywhere. If you wanted a picture yeah. on your wall, you had to go to Athena and buy it. And this is, the kind of, <laughs> this is the kind of picture that you end up looking at for a long time and not looking at anything else. Like yeah. it, does, it does kind of, uh, it kind of invokes that from you, I think. Yeah, I like the fact that it's, it, is, it is sort of moonscapey and strange. And it's not that comfortable. It doesn't look like a sort of um, chocolate box landscape. It, 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 it doesn't matter how long you look at it. It's still strange and, and odd. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you if you've been up to the far northwest of Scotland, it is like it doesn't look like any British landscape that you'd think of as British. Mm. It's uh, it's mm. deeply deeply odd. Um, yeah, I love it. Excellent. Well, look, I, thank you. I, both. I just want to crawl all over that mountain. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're out of condition, you may find that's exactly what you're doing. 
Thank, thank you both for sharing these pictures. Um, I've said it before. Mm. I never know where the cards will send us. Um, mm. I'm delighted you share them with us, uh, with, with each other, with our, our listeners uh, at home. Another quick reminder for those of you listening, pictures of all these cards, whether it's um, the, the police arresting a young man, whether it's a landscape, whether it's an extraordinary picture of, of Warrington, these are all <laughs> going to be uh, on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk. Now, before we let you both off the line uh, and back to your various occupations, uh, I've got one more postcard for you both. So we, we do normally end end on one of these, and um, sort of by definition, that's what we're going to do now. Uh, I would normally pass this last card over to you in, in the studio, but we're not here together. So if you look at the last card on your um, bit of paper in front of you, uh-huh. uh, both yeah. of you, this is a, a picture. You can see it's a sort of um, uh, a townscape taken from a, a roof I mean to the extent it's taken from the roof because you can see bits of the roof mm-hmm. and it's in a, um, a, a sort of middle European uh, town mm. Do you, you don't recognise the town by any chance either of you? Mm, I wouldn't no, guess no no I couldn't guess really I mean it looks a bit a bit Austrian maybe well I think it's Polish I think it's Torun in Poland okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see there's a, a dot in the middle of the card and that is because, as listeners will be aware, this is a record. It's a, it's a postcard that you can play on a gramophone. Oh, oh that's um, amazing. And it, it's normal size. Uh, these were produced um, in various countries, but the ones in Poland were normal postcards that then they somehow put a layer of film over them and stamped that the grooves into it. Um, oh. And unusually, this one, it's a picture of Torun, and I think it was sold in Torun. Uh, I don't think the music's anything to do with Torun, but it's sort of it's it's like a it's it's a topographical card as opposed to a picture of some flowers or, or, or ornaments or something. Yeah. Um, and this one was sent in 1967 from Piotr to Liz and Helen, which is probably how it ended up in in, in this country and, and closer to South London where I am right now. Um, anyway, young Tom at Warder Studios has taken the precaution of making a digital file of this. So <laughs> if we ask him very nicely, we will be able to hear the sound of this postcard. So I think it's a kind of Polish beat group. This is like the Dave Clark Five. Dave Clark Pinch. What do you think? That's incredible. <laughs> That's a complete Beatles rip-off, isn't it? It's amazing. Isn't it? Quite a nice tune. Have you managed to track down who it is? No, I don't know. I'm... I could probably run it by various people, but you'd need to be an expert in 1960s Polish music, I think. Pop music. I could probably I found find a per- some. Yeah, if I played it to the right person, they'd know. Well, I think, can I just, can I do a beautiful link with my blues postcard? There's a lot of blues influence in that tune as well. Yes, yes. So, but it is, it's just kind of like, you know, early 60s, you know, Beatles were a blues band, basically, weren't they? They were. Yeah, and, well, and, in part, yeah. Well, yeah, they were, and yeah, they were, everything's based on the blues, but... Oh, the Beatles chord at the end. Yeah, there's... Oh, this is, yeah. 
And what's what's Polish for Beatles? I don't know. What well, as in the? Yeah, that's a bit of the George Harrison guitar. Yeah. Oh, it's a bit scratched, I'm afraid. <laughs> that's what happens when you send a what? musical what, post. Really? Through the post. <laughs> yeah. So you send a record through the post with. <laughs> Well, as the town hall of Torun continues to rotate at exactly 33 and a third revolutions per minute, that's it on this time for Podcast from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Sarah Brand and Peter Mitchell. Thank you both. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. You can see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book Postcard from the Past by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.